0: Damer family, it's good to see you again. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up our time in God's, uh, in our series this summer, uh, or this spring, on some of the one-anothering passages in the Bible. And today we're going to deal with this theme of forgiving one another. You'll see it uh, right there in verse 13, and it's coming in the context of a chapter And so it's important to look at that one verse in the context of the whole, because I think Paul is going to give us some important insight on on why to do this and how to do this. And so we'll read uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, for Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, uh, we turn our hearts to you, and we have done a lot of what this passage commands. We've sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We have filled our minds and our ears with your truth. And so, Father, we turn to your word now and pray the same thing. That you would fill our hearts with truth, truth that would change and reorient how we live our lives. I pray for the forgiveness of my sins, and I pray that your people will be built up through your word, through your servant. I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So in 1996, I left Jackson and went to Alabama A&M University. Uh, It is located in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, one of the the, most vivid memories uh, around arriving on campus was having to enroll in a class called Operation Jumpstart. Now, what is Operation Jumpstart, you might be asking? Well, it was a one-week class that all freshmen had to take a year before upperclassmen returned. But that wasn't it. The class continued for the fall. It was a one-hour credit course where you had to go show up to meet with a professor for one hour every week in the spring and in the fall. And so it was a one-week course, and then it's a, a year-long course. And the whole goal of the class was to help freshmen transition into life in college. We were not high schoolers anymore we were not living with parents anymore no one's gonna wake you up to go to an eight o'clock class no one's gonna really be checking ids for some of the parties that you think you want to go to right there's just a whole lot of freedom and so our university made it a point to help us transition and so i remember the first time we went it was an outdoor assembly And there was probably a 1,000 of us, and noisy, rambunctious, uh, excited because we have moved out of our parents' home. And uh, the lady who directed the program got up to speak, and no one listened to her. And finally, she says, I want you to count one from five. And everybody who counts to five, you go stand to my right. And so we went through the whole class. And all of a sudden, everyone who was a five had to walk away. And she says, one in five of you will not graduate.
1: You'll have roommate issues. You'll not get up and go to class. You won't buy your books. You'll hang out with the wrong crowd. You'll party
0: too much. You'll take your refund check, and instead of buying books and paying for things you need to, uh, you'll go to Freaknik, right? And you'll do all these other things with the money that's supposed to be for your education, and you won't graduate. And at that point, you could hear a pin drop, and our school was committed. That summer, and the next fall, and the next spring, you had to show up. And they gave us tours of Huntsville. They showed us where the library was. They showed us where financial aid office was. They showed us where the nearest grocery store was. They showed us, hey, you can't walk on those Greek stones because if the Qs or the Kappas or the, uh, or the Sigma see you on their stone, you might get in trouble, right? Just all kind of the common body of knowledge to help freshmen transition. That's what they did. In a sense, our passage is a lot like that. There's a line in there that says, forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. And that's not the only time we see it. We see it in a sister verse over in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. N.T. Wright, he comments about the section that we're reading this morning. He says that there are parallels in this section in 21 other verses in the New Testament. And he's trying to reconcile why are these themes here and there and there and there and there and there. Here's what he writes. It is very likely that, the, that this passage reflects a standard early Christian teaching so important that all new converts would receive it. NG Wright thinks that we're reading Operation Jumpstart for Christians. You've come into the body of Christ. You've come and you've bowed the knee to Christ. And now you're making your way where? Into the life of a local church. This is written to a church. And it's as if Paul is saying, I'm going to prepare you for real life in the body. Because if you don't know, and don't do, and don't take to heart what I'm writing in this section, it's going to be miserable in the body of Christ. You won't finish. You won't persevere. That's the weight of the passage. And if you look at the context of Colossians, he just told them in Colossians chapter 2 that there's going to be problems on the outside. You're going to have people who come to you with philosophy and they're going to tell you, I saw visions, and these visions must mean this for your life. And he's like, don't you pay attention to them. They're going to come to you with legalistic thinking and trappings. Don't you pay attention to them. You hold fast to the one in whom is the wisdom of God. It's Jesus. And so in in Colossians chapter 2, he's protecting the church from problems on the outside.
1: And then when you get to Colossians chapter 3, You're going to have problems inside the church. And I need you to be prepared for those as well. And I think it's fair to say that Paul anticipates that within a church, we're going to hurt each other. And we're going to be hurt by each other. And if we don't know what he puts before us this morning, we don't know what to do with that. It'll be tempting to hold grudges. It'll be tempting to cut people
0: off and not engage. It'll be tempting to to just write people off and to live apart from them. And
1: that's not the thrust of this passage. He says forgive bear with. That's like stay with it and stay at it language
0: despite being hurt, despite being sinned against. So I want you to envision person one and person two. Person one has done something that is wrong. It is sin. Person two has been sinned against by person one. And now there's friction between the two. Now we'll come back to that at the end of the passage. So I want us to think about an underlying assumption that Paul has. And here's the underlying assumption
1: that our individual idolatry will hurt members in the body. That what we do and what we worship, if it's not God, it's going to hurt God's bride. We're going to hurt each other. And at the root of it, it's our personal idolatry.
0: Now, I know forgiveness, y'all, is we're going to get there. But remember, it's in a context. Forgiveness is important, right? Right. When jesus taught the disciples to pray one line in there is forgive me my debts as i forgive those of my debtors right so that's right there and it's kind of seeped its way into paul's writing now i want to state the obvious if paul has to command forgive one another then does does that not presuppose that someone has done something that needs forgiveness right? That's the obvious. You forgive sin. So the obvious is someone has sinned against someone where person two now has to forgive. And the other thing that's obvious is that, well, we will be the ones doing it. This was written not to outsiders in Colossae. This was written to the church in Colossae. And so do you see that the tension that Paul is dealing with you will sin against each other and you will need to give grace and forgive each other
1: now where where are some of the ways or we might sin against someone but we don't have to guess look at the list in verse
0: 5 Paul's listing some things that he's commanding them to put to death and to stop doing He says, stop being sexually immoral. Stop being impure, filled with greed or passion or evil desire or covetousness which is idolatry and then he gives another list over in verses 8 through 9 you must put these things away your anger and your wrath your maliciousness and your slander and your obscene talk and and lying to one another right so so think about here's what i think is happening i think in the context of the verse We don't have to go searching for ways that Christians sin against Christians. He actually gives us the list. He actually says Christians will be sexually immoral. Christians will be impure and filled with passion and evil desire and covetousness and anger and wrath and malice and slander. So much so that we will hurt one another with our sins within the body. That's what he's saying here, that these are not just sort of ad lib lists. He's actually saying that this is happening in the body. Now, how might believers do this? What's, what's behind the bad motives and the
1: bad living? It's right there in verse 5. He says, this is idolatry. He could be
0: saying covetousness is the base sin behind all other sins, when we desire something that we should not want, when we are not content with who we are and what we have, it's a covetousness. And underneath, coveting is really idolatry. And so when you have idolatry that moves to coveting, then what comes out of that is all the other stuff we start to see. Now, Tim Keller, I think, has written the best book on idols, and it's Counterfeit Gods. And I read it probably twice a year. And I think every Christian ought to read that book at least once a year. And just as a side note, some of you might know that Tim Keller has been diagnosed with cancer. And um, the Keller family, they're friends of our church. Michael came and preached at our uh, missions conference last year. And I talked to Michael last Sunday, and they've asked that we would pray for their family. But here's what Keller writes in his book. He says, every human being must live for something. Something captures our imaginations, our heart's most fundamental allegiances and hope. And without the Holy Spirit, that object will never be God himself if we look to some created thing for meaning, for hope, and happiness that only God can give, it will
1: fail to deliver, and it will break our hearts. And that's what's happening. They've not put idols to death. And it's not only breaking their hearts— It's breaking the hearts of people in the body. When power and control are idolized,
0: we might lash out when it feels like we're losing it.
1: When pleasure is an idol, we might look for eye candy. On TV, in person, When being perceived as having
0: it all together and not wanting to show our weakness, we might give in to lying. And when we're over ambitious, we might be like
1: a bull in a china shop. And the outworking of our idolatry is that we hurt people. People around us. People in the body. Do you see the relationship that I think Paul is making? When we're idolatrous, we will hurt the bride. And welcome to the church. Perhaps you thought that being a Christian or being a redeemer would be a bed of roses. Paul says, nah. If you do life with people and are proximate to people and they're in your life and near you, you're going to hurt people. And there are moments when Christians won't be kind and we won't be pure And we'll be sexually immoral. And we'll carry out our anger on people. And we will be impatient and not loving and not thoughtful and not humble. And it hurts. And yet, this is what Paul is saying it's going to happen.
0: And I don't want us to minimize. You see, that list, I think the tendency is to exalt some sins as higher and to to think that some sins on that list are not as bad. But before a righteous and holy God, it's all
1: ungodly. It's all wrong. You know, I think sometimes we're like the Wizard of Oz. Our perception and kind of what we project
0: and what we want people to think is that we got it all together, right? And behind the curtain, we're like a little stubby,
1: insecure being who knows how to hide things really, really well. That's us. Now, the second thing that I think Paul brings out in our passage is a forgotten reality. We're caught between
0: the ages. The first thing, right, is, is this assumption that, that, that our idolatry will hurt the body. But the next thing is, hey, there's, here's a forgotten reality. That as we deal with believers, we're dealing with people were caught between two ages. Now, what do I mean by that? I, wanna, I want you to I tease it out of the text. I'm not dealing with necessarily why we hurt people. That's idolatry. I want to step behind that and say, well, why can that even happen? Because the last I checked, God raised Jesus from the dead. He raised a, a, a dead person. So surely if he wanted to, he could have made us all exactly like Jesus right now where it's not, we're not able to sin and not able to hurt people, but he didn't do that. Somehow we're kind of caught in the middle. We're caught between the ages. Now, I want to tease it out of our passage, and, you, and to, to, to see this, we have to rethink how we understand time and space. Look at what Paul says in verse 3, and he's talking to Christians For you have died, past tense, something happened in the past, and your life is hidden. This is a perfect tense, which is kind of like the past tense with ongoing present implications. So you have died back there, and the ongoing implication of that is that right now, your life is hidden with Christ in God right? So something happened back there. So we see each other here and now, and we think we're seeing better versions of our old selves, and that's not right. When we look at one another, we're actually looking at people who have died, and you're new. Like right now, you're a new creation in Jesus, Right here and right now, you got the same skin. you got the same blood going through your veins. You might have the similar dispositions of your personality, but the essence of the gospel says when you bowed the knee to Jesus, you died. There was a funeral,
1: and you're new right here and right now, and that's real. But then Paul goes on to say, your life is hidden with Christ? Well, where is
0: Christ? Look at verse 1. Above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and when he appears, like look, look, at, that, look at that refrain in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears in the future, then you will also appear with him in glory. So wait a minute, that that is like so confusing. You tell me I've died and I'm new and I'm living, but then you tell me that my life is hidden with Christ and where is Christ? He's in heaven at the right hand of God. And then you tell me when he comes back, I will be glorified So what about here and now? We live the here and now on this earth, even though we're new, the future glory selves that we will be right now is hidden with Christ. And when he comes, all that we will be will happen then. And yet we're stuck to live on the earth.
1: Y'all, that is so confusing. It's like Paul is saying, it's complicated, dot, dot, dot. Your future glorified self, whom you will be when Jesus returns, it's hidden. And yet you're alive right now, a shadow of what you shall be. And
0: you're caught, your life is hidden with Christ, who's at the right hand. And yet you do life here on the earth all right so this is us how many of you all watch this is us please raise your hand all right all right so you might have seen one of the recent shows rebecca and jack they're a couple and they have they were pregnant with triplets well as she was giving birth she lost one of her triplets but there was an african-american young man who was dropped off and so they went to the hospital thinking that they would birth three children, only had two because one died, but they adopted one, and so they came home with three kids. And so if you watch one of the recent episodes, every year around their children's birthday, uh, Rebecca gets depressed because she thinks about the child that they didn't come home with. And even though they've adopted Randall, even though they have three, they left to give birth to three, came home with three, there's still one that's not there. And so every year she grieves. And so they start this process of every year around their birthday, they go to the hospital, and they meet with a doctor who birthed their children. And he's this sage, this really wise guy, and he counsels them, and he gives them These things to think on to help them in their grief. And finally, he says, Rebecca and Jack, I want you to think about
1: a hospital. There's a lot of death in a hospital. You lost your baby in a hospital.
0: You you will lose your husband in a hospital.
1: Cancer will not be beat in a hospital there's trauma in a hospital and then he says but there's beauty in a hospital you birth your children in a hospital
0: your children will birth their children in a hospital and cancer surgeries will be successful in a hospital and here's what he's trying to do He's trying to help them live within the tension that in one hospital, there's going to be goodness, and there's going to be sadness. There's going to be life, and there's going to be death. And it's all taking place in one place. As you look at image bearers who have bowed the knee to
1: Jesus... Do you have room for that? That what you're looking at is beauty and holiness and righteousness
0: and joy and new life, and you're simultaneously interacting with people who are still broken and sinful. And those things are coexisting. Why? Because we are living in the overlapping of the ages. The age of darkness, the age of evil, the age of the world is running right alongside the age of Christ who is making all things new. And you and I are living our lives caught in the
1: ages. That's why we see beauty and brokenness. That's why we see
0: humility and haughtiness. That's why we see traces of the divine and traces of that which is devilish even bound up into people who name the name of Jesus. It's because we're living between the ages and that ought to be a hashtag, right? I'm a hashtag that caught between the ages. When somebody piss you off because their sin is running rampant, caught between the ages. I got it, right? And when somebody does, like, the most glorious, most godly thing, I got it. We're caught between the, like, it's both happening at the same time. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor L, you just gave me a license to live how I want to live. I'm caught between the ages. I'm going to spit your hashtag back at you and justify how I live right now. I'm not going to change. No, don't do that.
1: Because that's not what Paul does. Here's a vital reminder. It's our last point. The age of Christ has broken in now. Right now. Which means we can be different now. We can change
0: now. We can pursue him now. We can be peacemakers now. We can stop going after these same sins that have been ensnaring us now. We can give grace and forgiveness now. We can do all of that, not because we're caught in the middle of the ages, which is true, but the age of Christ is here. It's here, right here and right now, and you're in it. If you have bowed the knee to Jesus, you are new and you are being reformed after the image of your maker. And you don't have to wait until glory for the glorification process to break into our here and now that we would be more and more and more conform to his image and likeness. That's what Paul is saying in our passage. And so I want you to get the apostolic thrust of the passage. He says, if you've been born again, then you will be seeking the things that are above. Jesus did not raise you from the dead, spiritually speaking, for us to live as though nothing has happened. The force of what Paul is saying is the evidence of our being raised from the dead will show itself in how we live our lives. There is a mustness in the passage. There is a divine enabling in the passage. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how God sees you, Christian. Holy now. And beloved by him now. He goes on to write in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He didn't say make the peace of Christ rule, make the peace of Christ dwell. He says, let it. In other words, you can have two approaches. You can either be the cause of this or you're called to cooperate with the God who's already caused this to happen. And that's what Paul is calling us to. Cooperate with the grace that God has placed upon you and in you. Because God chose you, verse 12, before the foundations of the world, because you are beloved, verse 12, because you are counted holy in His sight, verse 12, and this was all a reality when the word of Christ came, verse 16, and the peace of Christ, verse 15, flooded your soul and it moved you to thankfulness, verse 14, for God's sovereign mercy, cooperate with this grace and go be who you are with his divine help.
1: Dane Ortland has a book entitled Gentle and Lowly. He says there are two ways to live the Christian life.
0: You can live it either for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. For the smile of God or from the smile of God you already have? For this new identity or from this new identity? For your union with Christ or from it? He says, picture a 12-year-old boy growing up in a healthy home. As he matures, no fault of his parents He he finds himself trying to figure out how to really assure himself of of his place in the family. One week, he tries to create a new birth certificate for himself. The next week, he determines to spend all of his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. The following week, he determines to do all he can to imitate his dad. And one day, his parents question his strange behavior. He says, I'm just doing all I can to secure my place in the family, guys. How would the father respond? calm yourself my son there is nothing you could possibly do to earn your place among us you are my son period you didn't do anything to start or get into our family and there is nothing you can do to get out of our family live your life knowing your sonship is settled that's a hallelujah right there You hear that? Do y'all wake up with that in your hearts? Like I wake up and you love me and you view me as holy in your sight and your smile is upon me. Do you wake up that way knowing that you don't have to get out there and work for it, but that you already have it through the work of Jesus? And so the question becomes, how then do
1: we cooperate with what we have and who we have? How do we cooperate? Paul says you got to learn three postures in our passage. One, you got to be a thinker. Y'all seen this sculpture? It's the thinker. And i'm reading this book right
0: here soul care in the an african-american practice by barbara peacock but she has a page on here uh, a section in here where she talks about images and divine images and how jesus sort of uses birds to convey truth he uses lilies to convey truth the proverbs uses ants to convey truth to our mind and she's stirring our hearts to think about images to see if the divine footprint has been there. When you see this image, I see a man who is thinking. Look, he don't got to be a Christian. I can hijack whoever did this and use it for my purposes, right? But the posture is that of thinking. And what you don't know that's behind the thinker
1: is the gates of hell. That's the imagery behind it. And so put those two images together.
0: The gates of hell is back there, and thinker is in this posture of meditating. Thank you. Look, Paul has a ministry of teaching and admonishing. He says, the word of Christ, let that dwell in you richly. But did you notice our passage? He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Well, how do we seek the things that are above? He goes on to say, set your minds on things that are above. Your thought life is what he's getting at. We have anywhere from 16 to 60,000 thoughts a day.
1: And what Paul seems to be saying Let the beauty of Jesus
0: occupy your mental space. You're more than just a mother chasing children. You're more than just a father going to work. You're more than just a student trying to make grades. You are redeemed in the sight of the Lord, and your Christ is on the throne and he is beautiful, he is gracious, he is kind, he is sacrificial, he is meek and lowly at heart. He is God in flesh. And, and, and what Paul is saying, as much as there is to do on this earth, and some of that is good,
1: let your minds be hijacked with glory. Think about the new heavens and the new earth.
0: Think about who you will be when he returns. Think about the place that he is preparing for you now, and he is coming back to get you to be with him forever. Think about this new city that is coming from the heavens made by God himself. Think about the cross. Think about him. If we're going to do any of what God is calling us to,
1: we've got to use the mind. The next thing, beloved, is he says, we're going to have to be assassins.
0: Look, I love my favorite type of movie is a type of movie where it's a bunch of dead bodies everywhere. And I probably shouldn't watch it, but I can kind of divorce reality from the TV. And there is nothing I like more than a movie where something precious has been taken from someone. And someone has to go on this mission to, re- to get what was theirs, and usually by the time you get to the last scene before the credit's coming, it's a showdown, and this person has been doing push-ups and pull-ups. They've gotten all the guns they can get. They've trained in
1: martial arts, and you're about to see dead bodies everywhere. In the closing scene, he gets what was rightfully his, for he justly carries out vengeance. When we get to glory, we're going to have to have some dead bodies behind us. And we're, the enemy is not other people. It's waking up every day to kill ourselves and our own sin and our own pride. We got to
0: be assassins putting to death not playing with it and not toying with it why because it costs us something it costs us someone precious the sacrifice of Christ we don't
1: toy with sin we kill it and we got to be stylish y'all do
0: You mean stylish Pastor Hill Y'all seen the shows where somebody has a, a, a tattered wardrobe and their kids have had enough? It's like, you got to go get mama, you got to go style mama or daddy, right? And mama or daddy is holding on to all these clothes from 40 years. And all of a sudden, a stylist kind of shows up and says, we're going to re-wardrobe you and they get their their seamstress tape out, and they're measuring, and they're taking them shopping, and, and, and they're trying to reach for these other things that they have in their closet, and the stylist is like, no, no, no. That's not transcendent. Look, you need this black dress. You need these black shoes. You need pants that fit this way, right? The stylist is there to tell them, don't go back to the old tattered clothing. Put on something tailor made for you, something timely, something transcendent, something that that does not go out of style. That's what Paul is saying. We have a tendency to run to what is old
1: and tattered and trifling. And he says, We got to become stylists, we got to be able to say those postures. Those dispositions, they need to be taken away. And let me put on something tailor-made for me.
0: And it's the garments of Christ. We're putting on timeless things like patience and humility and self-control and love. You've got to be, got to learn these. So here's my question. What does all of this have to do with person one and person two, right? Person one has just done something to person two. And person two has a complaint against person one. What does all of this have to do with peace there? Person two is called to forgive. And person two will not
1: forgive unless they know the arc of the passage. It was that person's idolatry acting out. It was their sin. And they're caught between the ages right now. And use your thinking mind.
0: Go back to Colossians chapter two, where Paul says the record of debt that stood against you, God nailed to the cross, and he blotted your sins out, think on that before you think about what they did to you. Think on what Christ has pardoned you of And then do the movement. Start killing your pride and everything you're holding on to to withhold grace. And then put on these garments of forgiveness because it's the garments of Jesus. And what about person number two who did the sinning against person number one? It was your idolatry. And your idolatry took your Savior to the cross And you can put that to death here and now. The wrath of God is coming for those who do those things. And you can believe the gospel that you are living between the ages, but the age of Christ has broken in. You are not a slave to what you used to do. You can change here and now by the power of the Spirit. Think on these things. Think on the work of Christ and what he's done. And dress yourself in the new clothes and that that reflects who you truly are right now. Dress yourself that way and put to death your sin. You don't play with it. You don't give a pass. And you don't tell somebody, this is just who I am. No, it's not who you are. That is who you will be. And by the power of Jesus
1: here and now, they can forgive and we can stop hurting people. That's ours now. Let's pray.
0: Father, we love you. We pray that you would apply this word to our hearts. Lord, help us to be a body where we give forgiveness. And help us to be a body, Lord, where we're pursuing holiness, where we can actually get to places where, yeah, man, two years ago I would have sinned against you, but today we're good. We can only do this by your grace and by your spirit, I pray. Amen.